0: You ready, Jimbo? I'm always ready, Cody. You know that.
1: (laughs) Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends. History before our time. Round pens and pasture rides, cowboys of the Osage.
2: Boy, that guy can get it, can he, Jim? Boy, that's good. That just
0: fits our deal perfect, don't it?
2: <laughs> Woo! Howdy, everybody! Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum. Located in right here in downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's Old Cody over here, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, good evening. Good to see you. Who do we have today?
0: Hey, Cody boy, it's a great day in Osage, and it's good to see you. And Cody, we got uh, we're going all the way to Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, talk to Chip Merritt. You know, the Merritt family is one of the iconic ranching Western way life families in the, in the history of Wyoming. I mean, you know, King Merritt was world champion, steer roper and a big time rancher and a really instrumental in, in the quarter horse industry in Wyoming. I've read somewhere that he brought the first quarter horse stud into Wyoming.
2: Hey, you know, I, I can name a, a great horse that came right off that family, right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I saw pictures of him roping at Cheyenne on the great horse. One of the best bloodlines right. in roping horses period.
0: Right. Absolutely. And then uh, King had a bunch of kids and all of those were accomplished Western way of life type people, you know, in their own way. uh, Chip's dad is Hyde Merritt, who uh, furnished cattle to Cheyenne and put on the uh, King Merritt Memorial steer roping and then put on the national finals for 10 years plus or something. In fact, he's been called the godfather of steer roping. Some people even think he saved steer roping with that national finals up there. So it's just a super... Uh, historic family. And we're really proud to get to talk to one of them. And, uh, Chip, welcome to the Cowboys, of the Osage podcast.
3: Well, thanks guys. This will be fun. I really enjoyed getting to talk about our family and what they accomplished. And it's fun talking to you guys, you know, uh, the Snively name is and all this stuff I was going through with King there's, there's Snively's all over that. And, uh, I remember, Back in junior high when I was first untying steers, Joe Snively was the big was one of the big guns then. And he was always nice to me and treated me nice. And uh, and then Cody, I used to rope against your dad all the time, and that guy was a hand. And I sure hated to see him sell that Dunhorse to to T, but cause that just made T all the tougher. But but man, Rocky was a tough hand. I you know, he would have fit in with those old-time
0: stirrups. He was more old-school than, than some of the new. Yes. That's what I always was impressed with. Yeah. But, well, first things first, how did the merits come to settle in Wyoming?
3: Well, uh, first of all, King was born in 18, eight, 1895 in Georgia and he and his family moved out to Nacogdoches, Louisiana. His his dad started a, a livery stable there, and then for some reason, they decided to move to Oklahoma. They weren't there very long, but King was a young guy, about 15 years old, and he kind of got, got to liking that Western way of life up in Oklahoma. And then for some reason, King's dad decided to move back to that livery stable in, in uh, Nacogdoches. Well, King was there about a night, and he jumped on one of on one of his dad's mules, and rode north, northwest. That's where he was heading. He didn't quite know where he was going, but he wanted to get out where the cowboys were, and uh, he ended up ended up working at the Four Sixes, the Matador Ranch, uh, the J.A. Ranch up there in the, up there close to the Panhandle of Texas, and worked there for oh I don't know three or four years and then he kept he got a he saw a a silent movie of of frontier days in Cheyenne and he he decided he's gonna move go to Cheyenne so he got there I'm not real sure how he got there but he he pulled into into Cheyenne in in March and there was a hell of a snowstorm going on he didn't have all he had was a white shirt on his back and a dollar in his pocket, and, but he, he, there was a, 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 corn wagon there in town, headed out to one of the big English ranches around, out that, uh, toward Chugwater, north of Cheyenne, about 30 miles, 30, 40 miles, and he, he hired on with those guys, and crawled, burrowed down into that corn wagon, and met, went out to the ranch, and, you know, my dad always said that King always got his horsemanship, and his rodeo skills from working on those big ranches in Texas and uh, but he he really made made a name for himself once he started working with that swan land of cattle out there in North Cheyenne.
0: I wonder if he ever crossed paths with Ike Rude down there on any of those Texas ranches.
3: You know, I don't know at the time, but he and Ike later were best buddies. Sure.
0: Uh, yeah, I knew that. I just Yeah but
3: I don't know if he met him down there or not.
0: Yeah. Well, that's quite then, a
3: uh, and then King, he he worked that Swanland cattle, and then he ended up. Uh, well, he he got called up to the uh, World War One, went overseas, came back and met met a girl Marie Smith. The Smith family were homesteaders out there north of Cheyenne, north and west, and uh, they got married then, and uh, they. He worked for a big ranch It was out there. And that was kind of when his rodeo world kind of started is about then. There was a, I was reading on, trying to get some information for this podcast, but uh, King and one of his good buddies would leave the ranch to go wherever they were going. They might, there used to be a lot of ropings out at Yoder, Wyoming, which is kind of between Cheyenne and Torrington. And he and his buddy, they'd take a couple of horses and, they, and uh, all they do is they'd rope cattle all the way up there and rope cattle all the way back. So they got a lot of practice in just going up to that rodeo Yoder and that probably had to take them a couple of days to get there.
0: That's where I grew up uh, his practice was on the ranch. You know, that's what they always Oh see. yeah. Well, yeah. They did it back then. Yeah,
3: there was, was a story think. where, yeah. there was a story when King was, uh, I don't know, he short about, shortly about this time, but he there was a neighbor who had a big shorthorn bull that nobody, none of the rest of the ranchers around there liked him, but he kept, he'd jump fences and get in with everybody's cows. And finally, King had had enough of it and he tied him down and castrated him and hung the testicles up on the, up on the, at the ranch of the guy that owned him. And then he thought later, he says, God, I better, I might get shot over a deal like this, but, uh, the Rancher was so impressed that he could was able to do that by himself and trip on a big old 1500 pound bull, and so he tried to hire King after that. But
0: That's pretty funny that story. Huh. Well, he uh he was mostly a calf rope, did he bulldog or do any rough stock? But he calf rope and steer roped. I know,
3: yeah. When he first started, he roped calves, bulldogged, and rode Bronx, okay, and uh. I don't think he's a real accomplished bronc writer. I, I, I don't think he rode broncs very long, but some of this literature in here, he, he did ride some broncs and, but he wrote he bulldog left-handed and, uh, which is, I think was, I don't know why he did, mm-hmm. but they, I've got a picture of him at, at Pendleton on the track, dogging a steer left-handed.
0: Yep. Well, yeah. Well, he would have been in the time frame with uh, Bob Crosby and they, they were pretty good friends, weren't they?
3: yeah i think bob was a little bit older in fact um and bob was a little bit older than king one one year king had a bunch of kids we had three sons and three daughters i guess and so they'd been at frontier days and he loaded all the kids up and headed back out the ranch well he'd run off and left Hyde there at the rodeo grounds and so Hyde says he spent the spent the night in the bedroll with with bob crosby
2: (laughs) My grandpa left me at a horse sale one time. On
3: <laughs> you got to stay with him You can't be wandering off.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> well, well, he uh, did. He ever win Cheyenne? I know he won Pendleton, time or two, He never.
3: I he never won Cheyenne. Um, it was. It was. It was a funny deal. I know. I won a high. I won the high school rodeo. A calf rope in high school rodeo once, and my dad says. You're the first Merits to won any event here in this arena. Yeah. But uh, I think both King and Hyde placed their pretty serious she- time she- or two no good no.
0: takes a lot of luck, to, you know, a lot of skill and a lot of luck at Cheyenne. Things kind of have to break right. Yeah,
3: you know? yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I've always said yeah. that Cheyenne is the easiest rodeo in the world, but yet the hardest rodeo in yeah, the world. at the same time. But it
2: always <laughs> seems easy until you actually rope there that year. Yeah, in the
3: stands, it looks pretty easy, doesn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah, every year, every year I don't go, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I'd have been there this year. Right. All I had to do was tie down three steers, no problem, but yeah, you know, a lot of things that can happen to you, as uh, Kurt Robinson would say, there's a lot of intangibles. or
0: Yeah, that's for sure.
2: That, uh, that'll happen to you in the great sport of steer roping.
0: Well, he was world champion steer roper in 1942. Yes. Right? Yeah. And yeah, that
2: year,
3: it was a funny year. They decided that whoever won the tripping at Pendleton would be the world champion. And he won. so he won the Pendleton Steer open. And, and that made him world
0: champion. I wonder why they did it that way. Chip. I don't know. I don't know why, why that was that year. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, uh, 1922, I know Cheyenne was considered the world champion. Whoever won. Oh, no, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I knew so back maybe, then they did that, but I was surprised in 1942 that they did that.
2: When did they start counting any money on that Jimbo?
0: Well, I think that before that, I don't know why they did it in 42, but before that they were counting total money. I think like from 1929, I want to say from 1929 on when the Rodeo Association of America was keeping track of the money for the turtles, you know? And, uh, but I don't know for sure.
2: Hey, that's just the way they did it back
0: then. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. Yeah,
3: 19, 1941, I found some stuff on how much they had won on that, on the, on the, on the gelding uh, uh, bullet, on bullet, how much in 41. So they, they must've been keeping track in 41.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Rodeo Association of America, RAA was keeping, uh, keeping all the money at points, whatever you want to call it for, uh, to crown the champions back then. all the champions before 1945 were actually crowned by the RAA. But,
2: I gotta get some of this rodeo knowledge out of his head sometimes. So <laughs> I'm always quizzing him.
0: I'm you, always quizzing him, keeping him on his toes. You mentioned Bullet. He was a pretty famous steer horse, wasn't he, Chip? He really was. You know,
2: uh, King, there's a quote
3: from King first time he saw Bullet, he was uh they are dragging bulls out of the arena in Fort Worth. And he said Bullet weighed 950 when he was ring wet. And he was dragging bulls weighing 1,500 pounds out of the arena. That's when King first saw him and first fell in love with him. Was then, and it wasn't uh, maybe it wasn't very long after that. 1934, Ray and Pat Lewis owned him. And they were from Texas down there some way. and they brought him to Cheyenne. And Bob Crosby bought him from those guys that year. And then uh, in 1935, King bought half interest in him. For two hundred fifty bucks, <laughs> two hundred fifty dollars.
0: had a lot of money in nineteen yeah. thirty-five. Yeah,
3: question.
2: Yeah,
0: I'd take it. Then, then Ike Root came along and bought,
3: like a couple weeks later, and bought the other half interest in him. So mm-hmm. Ike and King owned him together.
0: I see. Then he had another w- real well-known horse named Gangster, right?
3: Yes, Gangster was a horse that uh, that King had, big saw horse, and they used to match race him all the time. King, I think he would might have rather match race than to rope. He would match race everywhere. Right. But they had gangster and uh, and uh, and my dad roped on gangster
0: too. Wow. Hey,
2: Jimbo, did uh, am I mistaken or did match racing used to be an actual event at Cheyenne?
0: I've got a a silver cup at home uh, that my uncle Jay, Jim's older brother, won in 1930, and it says match race champion Cheyenne Frontier taste Oh okay yeah so uh, and, and all Jim ever said was Jay had a horse that could sure run and I'm supposed I'm guessing that's the same horse but, but I've never seen anything about it written or anything but I do have that cup I'm gonna break it down at the museum when date
2: I think they actually brought it back a few years ago when it's a big deal in Wyoming now I think they give a trailer away for the match racing champion now or they was doing it a few years ago when I was they just brought it back mmm uh, They'd, uh, I think that they'd, the horses would start, uh, facing the other way and they'd shoot the gun and they'd turn oh, okay. and run a race right. back in front of the track there. Oh. I saw a lot of good wrecks there. I mean, uh, good wrecks. Hopefully the people lived through them didn't have get in yeah. too much pain right. and suffering, right. but a lot of collisions on those match races, it seemed like.
3: Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I, got to, I got to ride some race horses in that on that track when I was young, but the, you know, some of them were lap and tap and some were out of starting gates, but they they raced there for quite a while when I was younger.
2: Well, wow. you, know, you don't know a race I was in one time, Jimbo? No. I rode an ostrich <laughs> for Japanese <laughs> an ostrich race. I'm not kidding you. When I was about, I don't know, eighth grade or something like that. And uh, the, the note I brought to school the next day, my dad wrote it out for everybody, for the for the lady in the office. And Cody was not at school yesterday because he had to ride an ostrich in and she believed that. <laughs> <TV>.
0: That sounds <laughs> like a fish yeah. story to me. Believe that? No, that's a fish story. If wow. i <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know what that has to do with uh, the the gray horse and the Cheyenne, but
0: yeah. we got off on that deal. Well, King had five, six kids. Is that right?
3: He had six. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. And your dad? Your dad
3: was the oldest. He was second oldest. Sonny Sonny Dean was the oldest, and then Hyde, right? And then I think Sis, and then Ginger, and then Cotton, and then Ramona. That's how it went.
2: Pretty close. I know a lot of people up there with some big families, Jimbo. Do you think them long winters have anything to do with those big families?
0: Maybe
3: snowed in.
2: It's just 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 a theory of mine.
3: Yeah. He needed some hired hands, is what his deal was, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 big spreads too. Yeah. The work to be. You big. know, uh,
3: Sis Sis was married to George Mills, who was a famous rodeo clown, plus a heck of a rodeo hand.
0: Yeah, he and, was a, uh, champion bareback rider or something, I think. Yeah, yeah, through. and, and uh, did he, did he have something?
2: a partner, another clown? Uh, Mills Meeks and Mills time, or is that something different?
3: I don't know. I you know one here just a couple of years ago I got to talking to uh, Mike Servey. and he that's how he got into the rodeo business was being a rodeo clown, and he got all of all of George Mills's rodeo stuff. I was clowning stuff for him when when George retired. I didn't know any of that history, but that was kind. Of, he really spoke highly of of George Mills, and then uh, Ramona, who's the youngest, she ended up marrying John Dalton, and John Dalton was a Amazing cowboy. He he won. I think he won the all-around of Pendleton twice, and uh, he could really rope and bulldog. And so it was all. It was intertwined in the family for sure.
0: John Dalton was a pretty good fighter too, wasn't he?
3: Yes, yes, he was.
0: He, I'd, I, Cody. I'd compare him to Woodrow Call on Lonesome Dove. He, he could. He didn't like rude behavior in a man. He wouldn't tolerate it. Yes. Woody tip.
3: Oh no, you know, there's a and I witnessed a little bit of this, but uh Alan Keller who he would stir things up, you right. know, he yeah, it was behind the shoots there frontier days. And Alan wasn't he wasn't happy about something and he was making a big scene. And they said the only guy that they thought Alan would back down from was was John Dalton. And John went and said, You know, Alan, you better just take it easy and take a calm pill and We'll go on with this rodeo, but yeah, Alan, that's only person I've ever heard Alan backing down from was with John Dalton. Right.
0: My yeah. dad was a little old kid in Ellensburg, Washington, he said, and the fair was in town along with the rodeo, and he said John got into it with some people, some carnies there at the fair. And my dad said, I just remember them carnies laying everywhere, just like <laughs> Out there, he said, and they packed up and left over it.
3: <laughs> well, he was in special forces and in, in the army, right. so he, he knew that stuff.
0: He knew judo and everything, didn't he? I yeah. think, yeah. yeah, boxing and judo, the whole deal. And, he was, okay. and then and one of the girls was married to Dale Haverty. Is that right? That was my mom's sister. Was oh, married okay. To Dale. okay, I knew there was a connection there.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: right. Okay. Okay, well, tell us about Dale Haverty. I've I've heard of him all my life, and uh, did he he owned something up there, didn't he? A hotel or something, or am I getting him mixed up? Tonight?
3: No, Dell uh, Dell was from Benson, Arizona. He worked for a guy named Ken Gunter, who owned owned the Stud Redman, the Joe Hancock's son, Redman. And one year, he Dell he got the the pick of the Colts. And he picked a blue roan yearling that year. And that was blue Valentine Dell. He, they said he was as tough as there was. He was, uh, it was IRA was big in the early fifties and he was the IRA world champion all around almost every year. And he could rope calves. He could do anything. He, they said he did every event, but, but bronc ride, right? Bronx. And, uh, but he came up in this country with that blue Valentine stud and, uh, I don't know some i don't remember who introduced him to my aunt uh but they got connected up and then he got a little short of money and he ended up selling half interest to, to blue valentine to my granddad uh connie and Dee Merritts, Dee, their their dad buster hayes and then it was several years later my dad bought the other half interest in blue valentine but yeah, Dell was as tough a hand. And I mean, I used to love to get to ride with him because he, he was such a good hand, but he had such a sense of humor. And uh, he was a great guy.
0: Great
3: a great guy. He ended up running my granddad's ranch at Thermopolis, so I got to ride with him quite a bit. But he was a tough hand and he could he could do it all. He they you know he traveled he traveled on that blue stud everywhere and they were there was an event called Steer Undecorating. He did that on him. He Team tied on him. He roped calves. You know, he did everything on that horse. But uh, yeah, but Dell was a great guy and a good hand.
0: Yeah. I'd always heard about him, just I never met him or anything. But.
2: Is he the guy that trained Blue Valentine?
0: Yes. Yes.
3: How yeah,
2: many he go back to that horse. How many what? I wonder how many great roping horses or rodeo horses go back to that Blue Valentine.
3: Oh, I think there's tons, and and you know we still have offspring. I mean, I can and
2: they're,
3: you know, shoot there's people taking taking those horses on trail rides or barrel racing on them. They do everything on those horses, and uh, yeah, he was he, Blue Valentine himself was something else. I got to, I got to trip some steers on him when I was in high school, and uh, I mean when you when you rope that steer and you laid that trip. You better be hanging on because he could catch another gear. You know, in those days those guys just rode by him as about as hard as they could go and and that's what they did with Blue. And yeah, we got pictures of him of my dad roping on him and roping stairs about as big as he was. Yeah. But he's a great horse.
0: When did King start those uh winner take all those big jackpots up there in Wyoming? <laughs>
3: Well, the first one that I found that he he wrote it was 1948. He started that roping. It was it was called the Platte Valley Steer Roping, and it was over in Encampment, Wyoming. And he invited the top 15 steer ropers. I kind of I went through some of the rules, and we can go over them in a second. But it was kind of interesting. They brought he he invited 15 guys, and this was 1948. And each of them would enter for a thousand dollars, and they they paid four monies. And they just paid an average. They didn't pay any rounds, and uh, so the top four guys have got the money. But I read a deal where I don't remember now. I can Maybe it's Clark McIntyre, but he'd, you know, he'd come back from the north country with maybe ten thousand dollars that he'd win around, go back down to Oklahoma and, and buy land for seven dollars an acre, and that's how those old those guys started their ranches. Well that's how King started his ranch was from his rodeo winnings.
2: But
3: right. you can imagine thousand dollars in nineteen forty-eight, that would probably be like ten thousand now. You I know, it.
2: Like twelve, I think. I've been, I've we uh we have a poster back there from Clovis, New Mexico, thousand dollar fees, winner takes all paid one money. Mm-hmm. And we looked up the math on it, it's really close to twelve thousand dollars. Well, so I, you know,
0: maybe overall twelve thousand, but on certain things like land. I think it's even more than that. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. you could buy a nice ranch for $10,000 back then right. you know, where it wouldn't right. buy nothing now, you know.
3: Do you know that it kind of reminds me now? Because when my dad and my granddad, who was my mother's father, they saw those Southern Ropers, Show Webster, uh, uh, Clark McIntyre. So those guys, they were riding Joe Hancock's sons or Roan Hancock's sons and coming up here and just kicking everybody's butt. And so that was when my dad got interested in the, in the Joe Hancock of horses. And after King died, several years after King died, him and my granddad bought a horse called Texas Blue Bonnet, who was a Joe Hancock son who was in Montana. And that's how we kind of got started on those Joe Hancock horses, but man, they were great horses, big stout and would grit their teeth when they would lay that trip and my dad fell in love with the horses then from those guys riding them. And I mean, they'd come up here and they, they take all the money. But 1948 King had that, had that rope. And this is kind of interesting. It was, uh, catches, you could catch anything. You could catch any part of the animal you wanted in this rope. You could rope around the neck or rope in the front leg. My dad used to like that front leg. in fact, at the King merits, he would, that was a legal catch the front legs
2: it when i the prca right up into the yeah, 80s yeah 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 it was, it was
3: easy because they wouldn't have to lay a trip you just you know pull them down with the front leg and it, 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 yeah. they'd lay
0: best rope you I mean, best lick you could get and it was easy on the cattle too
3: you know, you know yeah yeah but uh um, they they had a if if the steer got up after you tied him it was a 22nd fine and it was kind of interesting they said if you didn't If you ended up not tying the steer down, you were disqualified and you had to forfeit the rest of your steers, which I thought was a funny, funny, funny rule. But what they do is the top 15 guys, they draw a position. Then the number one guy would draw his steer. Number two guy would draw his steer. They go on down, then they start over. And then once each guy had their five steers drawn, then he could decide which steers he in what order he would rope. them. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. Yeah. So if he threw a big old waspy steer, you might want to either rope him first or rope him last.
0: You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, when King died, it changed to the King Merritt Memorial, right? Yes. And your yeah, dad I think, it on.
3: yeah, I think King had it over there at an encampment for three years and then he moved it to Laramie. Right. He called it the Laramie Valley roping or something. And then and then when he dad my da- when he died, my dad changed that name to the King Mary Memorial.
0: See. And, uh, that was a big one of the big jackpots along with probably the Ben Johnson here in Huska. Probably the two best biggest jackpots going back then.
3: Oh, I think I think it was. And uh, it, you know, I I was looking at some of this literature. Some of those early ropings, they might have twenty or twenty five ropers. Yeah. And, you know, I think there were $500 fees at King Merritt. And my dad, I it's funny, that first, even that first rope at encampment, he figured out a way to paramutual the rope. I mean, he was all, he was such a math wizard anyway, but he figured out how to paramutual the steer rope. And about pl- that. plus they had Calcutta's and so they were always dodging. They always had to test to see if the sheriff was, was positive to this gambling or not. And if they weren't, then he, they would move that, that, especially the Calcutta's, they'd move them around to different. I remember one year at Laramie, they've had him in a gas station, <laughs> had the Calcutta in the gas station trying to stay away from the police. But, but remember, my dad, yeah. my dad ended up getting Perry Mitchell, It was him by himself that Perry Mitchell, uh, legalized in Wyoming. And wow. I was about I was probably early high school. And he had all us kids come to the meetings so we could show that there'd be a lot of people that were in favor of this deal. Mm-hmm. But once I got parimutuel betting legal, well, it made the steer opens a lot better, but it also opened up the horse races. So after that, Wyoming started having horse races with parimutuel betting. Wow.
0: But, uh, Hyde, and Hyde was yeah. instrumental in getting that started then, or it was, yeah. he was the guy that got he it. Was, he was,
3: did it, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Who did all the handicapping on the ropers?
0: That was Hyde,
3: yeah. That was Hyde, but um, I don't know, they really never had a handicapping. Um, You know, later like in the national finals, they they would have the top 16, so they'd have eight to go in a section. And that was all mainly drawn position. You know, so you know, like the King Merritt, I might be in the same section with Guy Allen, you know, and uh, which, you know, it, it just well, how it was, just how you drew up. But I don't know if there was anybody well, handicapping
2: Some odds on it when you bet on it.
3: Well, the- that the odds came from the betting. Uh-huh. So say if all the money went to Guy, then he had even odds. Oh, you know, me, uh-huh. I had uh-huh. Uh-huh. To one odds. We're done. Yeah. So the betting is what, what, what what changed the the odds
0: getting back to uh encampment or pine or wherever it was i've cody have you seen the video of ramona Hyde's sister king's daughter ramona dalton tying a steer up there
2: i'm not sure jim it's an
0: old 16 millimeter or something you've seen it haven't you chip i've seen it yes uh, yeah and 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 King's kind of hazing the steer, makes him kind of run over to the right, you know, right. exhibition, what it was, maybe mm-hmm. Quorum, I, I don't know who's flagging, but uh, it's quite a deal. And She made a, a good run on a big steer, you know, and she was quite a cowgirl, wasn't she? She, she for, was.
3: Um, to, you know, right, they, they, that
0: was a, Yeah, that that um, that was,
3: I, And some of this uh, this uh, advertising that I looked at, it said and there will be an exhibition steer roping by Ramona, Ramona Merritt. So yeah they even advertised it. And, yeah, she was a good hand and she was a heck of a jockey. Right. My dad tells stories about uh, oh, he and he and sonny took a horse up to Billings to match race and they they ended up winning the match race and then they gave Ramona 10 bucks and put her on the bus and sent her home and then they went off down the rodeo trail but but Ramona could she was really a good jockey and uh, but the other every time I was would talk to my aunt, she'd say, That dad of yours, he still owes me money from those match races. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: um, well, how did the uh, um the national finals get brought to Laramie? I'm sure Hyde had a lot to do with that, or maybe all I mean it was in Pahuska in seventy one and seventy-two, I know, and then it moved to Laramie in seventy three. Is that right?
3: You know, um uh, and it's a little bit fuzzy, but it, uh, where's my notes? Um, Hyde, Hyde was putting on the King Merritt and, and, you know, like the Windy Ryan, they were the only, the two biggest ropes and the best ropers, And, and I know a lot of those Southern ropers love to come to Wyoming in the summertime because it's nice and cool and get out of the heat and a lot of rodeos up here. And, and then it was right before Cheyenne. So they loved it. They loved it in Laramie. And, uh, and he was putting on that King Merritt, it was such a good roping and had such a bunch of sp- spectators. And, uh, but the it, they were having trouble with, with. they kept moving that national finals around. You know, it was in Clovis, then it was in Pahuska, and then it was over here. And it just wasn't very successful. So, and I don't, it was like 72. Yeah, I should have that here.
0: 72 was in Pahuska, and then I think 73 was the first year at Laramie.
3: 73 at Laramie. The sterile director came to Hyde and said, hey, we'd like to have you start having that national finals up there. Hyde had had it a couple of years before that. Just, you know, was kind of making the rounds. But um, they they asked Hyde to, to do Hyde said, oh, I would love to do it. I mean, if there was – I mean – Hyde loves steer open more than anything, and he would done anything to keep steer open right. going. And at that time, the first year that we had it at the at Laramie, I think there was only eight steer opens that year. Yeah. And uh, and so they it was on its way down, and there was nobody else would was wanting to put it on. And uh, Hyde, you know, we had the cattle, and he had the Pierre Mitchell, ready to go and stuff. And so it worked out real well. And I, you know, I've had people say, well, your dad saved sterile, but he, you know, he, he had a hand in it, you know, yeah. keeping it. Going.
0: They actually had it there once in 1961. Right. Ride. And uh, Joe said it was so cold or they'd snowed and they'd took a tractor and piled up a big pile of snow <laughs> in front of the bucking chute, you know, and you just, yes. around it, you know, but, uh, and then they moved it to Douglas the next year. And I don't know why they moved it to Douglas, but, the, but they just had it one year at Laramie and then they had it one year at Douglas before it went to Pahuska.
3: Yeah, one of the, the reason they went to Douglas is one of the partners with Hyde was Jim Roush, who was the state fair director and the state fair was in Douglas, Wyoming. I see. And it was a, it was maybe the first, the biggest, uh, most famous arena, maybe in, in Wyoming, of uh, and say Frontier Days, but, it was such a gathering place for the for the state, and maybe they thought they could get a lot of ranchers and people to come watch it. Right. But oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. I was ten years old at that at steer open at at um, at, at Laramie when it snowed so much, and me and and three other guys we trailed us cattle over to. We used to trail them from from our ranch to Laramie, and it's it's about a thirty mile trek. We'd take them, oh, 10 miles the first day and keep them overnight, and then we'd head out the next day. And I mean that next day when it was snowing. And I'm a 10-year-old kid, and <laughs> we're trying to get these cattle to Laramie. We finally got them to Laramie, and it was a miserable cold deal. But I remember that Hyde had to go get, a, get the county to bring a blade in there to blade that snow off that arena yep. and put it on the side so they could have the national finals. Yeah, you know, you get to September in Laramie, and it, you know, it's, a, it's a guessing game what the weather's going to be like. You know, it may be 80 degrees, and it may be 20 with the snowing.
0: Right, right.
2: Huh. And then y'all touched on it just a minute ago. Uh, they, they took 16 to the national finals in Laramie, didn't they? So, when they started the paramutual betting there, so they could run two heats of eight instead of the traditional – 15.
3: That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. They took 16 so they could have even, even, uh, races. They call them even races, eight and eight.
0: When you, you know what King, Oh, excuse me. Go ahead, Chip.
3: Well, if the King Merritt Hyde would take 50, that way he'd have five, five races of 10, you know, he wouldn't take 51. He, would, he only took 50. In fact, uh, I was starting to rope stairs decent and, I kept bugging Hyde about, it. I said, I need to get in the King Merritt. You gotta let me in the King Merit. <laughs> He'd say no. He says, We got our we got our 50. We can't let you in there. And one of my good friends, and I'll never forget it, he was from North up at Sheridan, Wyoming, he came to my dad and he said, you know, that kid of yours is roping better than me. He needs to rope instead of me. So he he pulled it, he pulled out so I could rope. But that was, you no, know, it was strict, a strict amount of entries. Both have you have actually untied
2: your fair share of cattle right there at that rope and haven't you?
3: Well, I did it was pretty late in my career. And I, you know, I uh, I hurt my knees
2: uh, untied untied
3: as a oh, kid. untied. Oh shit, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I untied cattle. I un- used to untie at Cheyenne. I untied every steer rope and around. And then when I was a little kid, That's I worked on this.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: my first job was working in the catch pen, which you guys are know that and, you know, working in the catch pen, that's what you do when you're a little kid at a big roping. And so I was on the board of directors of the high school rodeo here a couple of years ago. And the, the director said, Hey, uh, we need somebody in the catch pen. I said, well, I started out my career in the catch pen. I just will end it at that catch pen.
0: <laughs> One year, Chip, and you wouldn't have been very old, but it was 1957. And I've heard this story from Ike and Jim. I know it's true. Uh, they, There at Laramie, for some reason, they couldn't get cattle. And they roped some big Hollywood steers from, from Hollywood that they'd used in the movies. And they were so big, and they couldn't get them through the chute. They had to cut a whole bunch off their horns. And, been, and then they got screw worms, because screw worms were still good. But anyway, Jim said those were the biggest cattle he thought that he ever roped. And I've got a picture of him. Roping those. And I don't know what the oh, no. circumstances were or what, but but I can all have said that they were that they were steers that had been used in the movies. For okay. Wow.
3: I came across that picture of those cattle in a corral. Yeah. They got they look like the longhorns, you know, they yeah. just had such big horns. Yeah. And they when they tipped them, it left a hole in the end and nobody yeah. really knew what was gonna happen. But yeah, it it was it wasn't very fun. The day I kind of remember that as a little kid. Yeah. doctoring those cattle we had to run them all through the shoot and doctor them
0: yeah yeah he said they were sure big frame cattle of course they drawed them down a bunch but right of the biggest cattle he ever roped right you know
3: that's funny every picture i've looked at here and i don't know maybe the photographer took those pictures but there's the every one of those horses are getting jerked sideways you know because yeah. those cattle had you know they weighed 800 anyway right. almost every time yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they, those cattle were big, those big horn steers. Yeah.
0: How long did y'all furnish cattle for Cheyenne?
3: You know, um, we, it was about 1980 was our last year. And uh, I think this is amazing. But we, we had about a thousand head in there at Frontier Park that year. Cause we had all the calves, all the tripping steers and the dog and steers. And, and we did have a few too many, but every all, all the directors wanted to sort their cattle, and so they said, "Hey, bring us an extra fifty calves, bring us an extra fifty steers, and so once they'd sort them off, we'd take them home. But we did have right out a thousand head in that frontier park at the start of the start of the rodeo and was, it was about early 80s just before my dad passed away, but uh, I think it's kind of interesting we you know in those days, when I was young, everybody trailed their cattle you know it didn't matter if you were where your, your, your cows and calves or your or whatever. So we trailed to Cheyenne and uh, there might be, we, we had a, a jumping off place. It was end up being about 20 miles from Cheyenne. Then we'd leave early, leave at daylight with those cattle and heading towards Cheyenne. There might be six of us and we'd ride kind of headed across country and get the shortest route. We'd get to the, to the uh, interstate down there. And, uh, and uh, so there'd be a lot of our friends, our 4-H kids and stuff would come help us get them all on in there because you'd, you had to have people plug holes to get, so they wouldn't get on people's lawns. And and uh, I remember one year, four or five of those steers got out on the golf, co- golf course and we had to take after them and get them off the golf course. And, but uh, we trailed them town, you know, trailed them Cheyenne. Oh, I don't know, we, I can, shoot, I remember being five years old and trailing cows and calves from the mountain just by Laramie. So it had to be 35, 38 miles. We trail cows and calves. It took us three days to get, get to Cheyenne. But that was when Hyde had the calf contract and it was, you know, they were big Hereford calves off of some some Hereford cows. And that was quite the quite the experience. Those those calves. But uh but we but then finally my dad, he was such a PR kind of guy, he figured out that maybe this would be a heck of a advertising things so he got with the frontier committee and so they got the tv cameras and stuff in there and they met us there at the interstate and uh had all their cameras and the, for all the frontier committee was there on their their fancy saddles and their horses and and uh and it was a big spectacle then and but it was a fun fun deal
0: did did that start with king did he furnish cattle yes straight? okay yes mm-hmm. the reason i ask um My grandfather won Cheyenne in 1949 and I've got the buckle here.
3: Oh, no kidding.
0: And it it, it says Cheyenne champion steer Roper 1949, but it's called the Merit Trophy. Just like the Merritt had sponsored that. You know anything about that? My sister
3: and I were talking about that the other night. And for some reason, um, so for some reason, King gave that, that belt buckle to the champion stir right? And, and we thought that maybe it was after he died and it was in memory of him, but but that was before he died. So right. right. yeah.
0: I know they changed. I don't know how many they made like this one, but I saw one that Kathy Webster had that showed one in 1955, and it was, said the merit Trophy on it, but it was, it was an oval trophy. I mean, tr- oh. totally different. Oh. To this one. So I don't know how many, many, but just be two or three of these, this, this one out there, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I know. I oh, why, don't
3: you give, why don't you give that to me?
0: Well, I like have Cody here for the museum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Kelly Corbin told me that Dean used to have them in the uh, displayed in his uh, uh, Western store. You know, before the Road oh, okay. oh, Okay. He remembered that as a kid.
3: Okay. So they kind of use it as a publicity right, thing right, too. Right. So now, yeah. I
0: think they're just the steer open that they sponsored, as, as far as I know. Right. They're Right, that's what I understand, too. That's pretty unique buckle, and I'm just curious if you knew anything about it. Yeah.
2: You know, Chip, we used to be in the rope and steer business. My dad and I worked for him, and we supplied the cattle at Cheyenne for eight or ten years. And uh, the cattle drive you're talking about, as far as I know, I think they still do it. The last few times we had steers at Cheyenne, you know, I'd go about ten miles north of town and drop those steers off in a big pasture, and then... Uh, One day we'd have to go get them all gathered up and there'd be all the senators and all the Cheyenne Frontier Days guys. And they'd shut the whole interstate down and we'd drive them down the interstate a few miles. And just like you said, we had to plug holes. Sometimes we had to go chase them down the golf course. Had one jump in a swimming pool one time.
3: (laughs) I'd forgotten that I'd forgotten that Rocky had the stairs there. it was after, after we, we quit doing it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we had
3: them uh, uh, a lot of the two thousands. Okay,
2: okay, huh? I think probably. Yeah, it was
3: quite the deal. I remember one year they had uh, Channel Five had their cameraman there, and you know in those days this camera was as big as a person, and he was they put him on a horse, and then had the, he had this big camera mounted on his shoulder, and, and uh, he didn't know how to operate this horse at all, so he's walking along and. Pretty soon his horse is kind of in the middle of stairs and he's filming this whole deal. Pretty soon his horse starts jogging and this camera's beating him up. And finally this horse is jogging pretty fast. And me and my buddies, we're sitting back there because we know there's going to be a wreck. We're just going to watch the wreck happen, you know. And, and uh, my sister, she just swoops in there and stops this horse for this guy. Nanny's he was embarrassed a little old girl saved his life. <laughs> but yeah, it was... It was the funnest thing, man. It, you know, we'd meet them there at noon. They'd have a big feed and a bunch of TV cameras around, and and uh, it was a fun deal.
2: But you know, when it when it did come time, when we got those cattle to the fairgrounds and we drove them all around the whole track right there, and then we would take and we dumped them in a big pen back there in the back. As soon as all the real work started happening, and all the sorting and stuff happened, (laughs) all these guys in their fancy saddles and stuff—they were off. uh, They put the
0: the cameras up and everything. (laughs) Yeah,
2: right.
0: That figures. Well, I I laugh about that now. Is
3: you know, here came Monday morning after Frontier Days is over. Here was my dad, my mom, and us four kids taking them home. You know, and that was that was the the crew that came home. uh, How did you
2: guys used to put it, put together a big set of cattle for Cheyenne?
3: Oh, my dad, you know, he he, originally when I was young, he would go, well, they were Mexican cattle from Mexico and he, he had such a, and that was one thing he went, he would fight with the frontier committee about, he had such a, uh, a bunch of buyers in Mexico. He had it all lined up where they would, they would buy, start buying his cattle late in the fall, you know, cattle that he was gonna need for that next summer. And uh, he said, he, and Hyde would say, you know, I've got this network set up and I should just, I should just build a count on this contract every year because I've got this network. Well, it didn't happen now. We had to bid, them, bid it every year, but he, they were mixed cattle and Hyde would go down there. And when I first would remember it, he'd go down to those big ranches and buy them directly from those big ranches. And then, uh, and then bring them up, cross them, and then he had some, some a buddy of his that had some country either Texas or Arizona or New Mexico, and uh, keep them in the winter, and then bring them up to our country in May, May and June, and uh, and uh, it was it was real. I I got to do it three or four years after my dad passed away, and it, that was maybe the funnest part of the whole uh, the whole business is buying those cattle at the border and uh it, it was a little it was a quite a bit different deal when i was doing it because i would not write a check until those cattle were crossed because you never could tell you know the one year i know the governor of one of those states decided he was going to put a, a 90 dollars duty on those cattle my dad had to give him an extra 90 a head to get him across the border and so you, you never could tell if you're if they're going to come or not but uh but that's what he did he'd go down and spend some time and you know the, the the early cattle he'd buy would be a little bit smaller and as the winter went on he'd buy a little bit bigger his whole idea was buy was even a set of cattle because you know the last year we had Cheyenne or 250 overs, so you know you had to have 300 head of pretty even cattle and uh, so it, it took a little doing and then we also were putting on the Wyoming steer opens and so jackpots, and so we had to have a hundred head for each one of those ropens And so it took a lot of cattle, but his whole idea was buying a the, the 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 Cheyenne cattle and trying to get an even set of cattle for that.
2: You know, back it, then did you have the steer wrestling cattle there too?
3: Yes. Yes.
2: So correct me if I'm wrong, because it wasn't this way when we had the cattle, but I'd done a little bit of research on just for some reason I was interested in stuff like this growing up. So growing up before we had the cattle, it seems like the steer wrestling and the steer roping to be one herd. And I think the director for the steer wrestling and the director for the steer roping would come and uh, sort those cattle steer roping, bulldog and cattle. Did they ever do that with you Chip?
3: Well, they didn't because we would, we would uh, tip those tripping steers at the house You know 15-20 days before Cheyenne so Hyde would sort them or I would sort them you know we'd sort the cattle and and then we would try to take 50 or so more than they needed to the frontier park and then let the director sort the cattle he wanted out of them and they they got I they kind of got to trust him that we knew what we were doing and so you know they may have done that later but you know you had to tip them and you Know and then my dad started putting those rebars on those cattle, trying to save those horns and re- yeah. rebar and cast them. And
2: you guys uh started off plaster Paris, didn't you? Right, plaster Paris.
3: yeah, with a piece of rebar in it, yeah,
2: yeah. When later on, I became a master caster myself. I, that's really the only thing I'm good at, Jimbo. <laughs> I've casted thousands and thousands head of steers. We uh stuck with the rebar, you have to put black tape on there now so it doesn't rot the horn. Because it somehow breeds and let the horn not rot there. Okay. Rebar on. And then you get fiberglass casting, which right. put in the floorboard of the pickup, let it get nice and hot, and uh, it would just melt on. And I'd put half a roll on each horn of that. Uh, okay. Three or four inch. But make sure you get around the tip of that rebar real good.
1: Right. Make sure
2: you get around it. Yep. But you know, we'd go through 1,500 head of cattle trying to put together a steer open set of steers for Cheyenne. Um, and overall just big horns and a bigger frame set you know right
3: well you know you you buy cattle early in the summer early in the winter thinking okay I'm gonna even up a set of cattle for Cheyenne well you know like anything else one steer will grow a lot one steer won't and so but we had a big we had a, a bunch of people who come to our house and buy you know practice steers and so the the little end the small end the ramus the bram- side of cattle would we'd leave there and and people buy them for practice cattle and but yeah it's it's tough trying to even up that many cattle and you well we would get eat, cattle, cattle. in for
2: odessa and other things and he'd see one they'd work on cheyenne's deal he'd say kick that to the cheyenne pasture you know but uh one year they shut the dang border down and we had about three quarters of the herd put together and the border was completely shut down and we ended up having to buy some cattle for about 950 a round.
3: <laughs> See, that yeah. happened to us too.
2: Yeah. But they wasn't worth but about 22 cents a pound
3: right when the, you got on, the, re,
2: on the recovery. end. so no. that was really scary to be in steer rope business. That
3: was a problem. It was kind, it was fun for me to fly down there, buy cattle, and and uh, and then put them on pasture and then bring them up here. But then man, when it came time to sell them, you thought, what the heck? You know, I better make a lot of money on them. <laughs> renting them out by the by the head, but that wasn't the fun part trying to sell them.
2: I I enjoyed every minute of working there. Even when I was having to get up at you know 4 30 in the morning to bring the
0: you're already up you should well, up we're not get one. to bed most oh, of getting the time old, old, getting old. Home that night get right. up.
2: Gosh you can have so much fun at the rodeo grounds there. <laughs> and uh so I've heard so I've heard. Right. But you know I I just got the chills every day we got up to to go work at Cheyenne Frontier Days. It was just uh, something about it, just majestic up there.
3: Oh, you know, uh, I never did My my younger brother they were and they, my dad would pull an old house in there for them to live in. Things you know in their frontier park, and but they'd go out partying and come back, and then I'd have to wake them up and get them out to. You know, when you had to bring slack start at seven o'clock, so you had to have them down there by six. So you had to start moving them about five to get them all down there. And and uh, so, but those guys, you know, and we'd be sorting cattle at night. The night show would be going on and we'd be in the alley sorting those cattle for the next day. And they'd be on the fence trying to get girls to meet them over there at the trailer house. <laughs> it was the funnest time. It was so fun. Yeah, those were the days.
0: Yeah.
2: I spent a lot of time at that carnival, Jimbo. And you know what I took <laughs> a special interest in growing up at that carnival over there? There's all these guys displaying how these knives can cut all kinds of different things. This one guy cut a, a tomato so thin he, he said one tomato it lasted one an entire year. <laughs> 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 if you got that knife, he'd give you this other knife. Right. If you bought these two knives, holy moly. Three more of these other knives had come with it and, an, and a chamois There's these guys selling chamois claws there too.
0: Hey,
3: how have you put up
0: with him all these years, Jimbo? It's not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> but the bad, bad thing about it, Chip, Mostly, I think all these stories are true. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, we were kids at Cheyenne. I hate to even say this. And it's some boys from right here in Pahuska, actually. We uh, were walking around out there where all the contestants park, and I'll I don't know where all the Cowboys were. It was after dark. Me and all these boys were there by ourselves, and we uh, commenced to dipping in everybody's ice chest right around there. So, <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: you imagination while we was getting out of those ice chests. Yeah, right, so, right. I've learned a lot of stuff in Cheyenne.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Chip, your dad, he, he wore a lot of hats. I mean, I, I noticed where he started the collegiate rodeo at University of Wyoming.
3: Well, yeah, you know, it's, you know, Hyde was inducted in the, in the Cowboy Hall of Fame in, what year was that? 17, in 2017. And so I put together a lot of information on Hyde. And uh, yes, he, in, uh, no, now I have it. Yeah, 1941, he decided to, they decided the kids that were going to school at Wyoming, they want to have a college rodeo. Well, nobody wanted to help them. So they they got with a, a lumber guy, a guy that had a lumber mill there in town and he loaned them the l- lumber. These these kids all put up this arena and then got contracted with a, a buck stock and rope and stock and and uh, put on this college rodeo and, uh, and then... When the, the next day after the rodeo's over, they had to tear it all down and take it take it right back to the lumber lumber guy. And uh, so I was 1941. It was it wasn't the first college rodeo, but it was one of the first college rodeos. Okay. And uh, after right after that, my dad was well. It was when uh, United States when they went to World War II, and everybody left and and volunteered for the uh, armed services and. Uh, Naturally, my dad and his brothers all left right then, all together. And I think Hyde skipped out on part of his that semester just to join the Air Force. And he, uh, he, I can tell this story, this whole story, but he, uh, he ended up going to pilot school. And then they came into pilot school and said, Hey, we need some bombardiers. We'll pay you so much to come be a bombardier. So Hyde ended up being a bombardier on a B 17. And uh, he got, uh, he, they went overseas to England and he Hyde made 30, 30 trips with the bombardier and bombed Germany. And uh, he, um, the 31st trip coming back, they got shot down. Before that Hyde and the, the pilot were best buddies and the pilot was a great big guy and Hyde. And then they made this plan and since Hyde was a small wiry guy he wanted the pilot to get out and then he would be the last one out that way he could help everybody get out, out of the door well when when the guys got shot down and they're don't, going down the pilot said you guys get out i'm going to be the last one." well when he was the last one he got he got his chute hung up in the plane and went down to the plane and uh, have a little whiskey and water here to get me through these emotional times um he he uh he two of his buddies got shot down also went down to the plane and uh, but they they got picked up by the underground they went over, they got shot down over belgium it was christmas day and the underground picked them up and got them back to england and a uh, kind of an interesting story i guess you guys got, we got nothing but time here but um Hyde, uh, you know, after a traumatic thing like that happens to you, they send you to this mental kind of mental rehabilitation hospital. It was out in Washington and Hyde was there for several years and, or not several years, but several months. And then he came home and kind of started out his next, next career. Well, about shoot, it had to be 30 years after that. A guy called me from Washington. He said, uh, Said, Chip, I'd like to bring some mares out and breed to one of your studs. I said, I'd like to be great. Bring them out. And so while he was here, we were driving out through the horses. And he says, uh, I got a story I want to tell you. He says, my dad had this amateur contracting business. And uh, he uh, he was right there next to this mental hospital for the, for the GIs. He said this young G.I. would come down there every day. I want to help him feed hay, sort cattle, sort horses, do whatever. He'd do whatever. And, he, and this guy figured out this kid was a pretty good hand. And uh, this kid finally says, you know, I'd like to enter some of these amateur calf opens around here, but I haven't got a horse and nobody will let me ride their horses. He said, well, I got this pickup horse. It's a pretty dang good horse. Why don't you take him see if you can get him to rope some calves? And so Hyde took him and and uh, end up roping some calves on him and getting him going. And he took him to this first amateur rodeo and ended up putting this amateur rodeo on this horse, this pickup horse. He said that was your dad that came down there and helped my dad and and uh, and come to find out, you know, Hyde he never liked to talk about the the war. And you know, you get bits and pieces here and there and and uh, but, uh, on his way home, he decided to stop up in northern Wyoming and see one of his buddies, which was eventually my granddad, Buster Hayes, because they'd roped a lot together and but my uh, my dad knew that my granddad had this young good looking girl daughter. and so he stopped in there and struck up this romance with with uh, with my mom. And so that's kind of how they got started. and but um, yeah, that was kind of an interesting story. And then after that, Hyde, Hyde went to work with with Chuck uh, Chuck King, and they, who was eventually the editor of the Western Horseman, and Chuck and Chuck and Hyde decided to have a rodeo paper up in Billings, and it was it was called Rodeo News. It was kind of the start of the Rodeo News we're all know about. And uh, and in that note Rodeo News, Hyde was always professing. We need to start looking at rodeo cowboys as athletes, not just the show. You know, it was kind of like a carnival act before, you know, it was more. any so and then but he, you know, bringing the college rodeo into it, he started saying, you know, the college rodeo needs bylaws. They need organize, organized. They need to have a national finals. They need to have this. They have that. And he, did, he wrote these editorials every other time about this, about the college rodeos. And. Come to find out, then he, a little bit later, he, he realized that he and Chuck could not both make a living at this paper, so he let Chuck have it, and Hyde went on, started working for the Western Horseman, and uh, and then he was editor for this Quarter Horse News, and and uh, so one year they I was trying to figure in 1950, 1950, they called him and they said, Hyde, we're going we're organizing the NIRA we'd like to have you come and help us. And uh, that was 1950. And uh, the story is that Hyde and Harley May uh, did most of the writing of the bylaws. And there, I've got a picture of all the representatives from college rodeo that were here at that meeting in Denver, Colorado. And you know, you get to read some of those names and there's lots of big time cowboys who went to college, college Rodeo that were representing their schools. And I talked to several of the people that were there, and they said, you know, Hyde, he is kind of mentioned, it's kind of mentioned as doing a lot, some of this, the bylaws. They said Hyde did the bylaws. So, that was the start of college rodeo and that was Hyde's input to college rodeo after that. Wow. Pretty big deal. Kind of a long, long story for you guys. Pre-
0: no, no, that was great, you know, because uh I didn't know he was into the publishing and all that until I'd done a little research, you know, here on this for this podcast. And yeah. He was he was quite a guy for sure. And
3: he did a lot of not he did a lot of things. You know, you think about King, how much stuff he did. I I think Hyde may have done more stuff than King, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
3: or diversified thing, right. you know, so, you know, so it's just like Hyde figured out how to pair a in the back of the pickup. I remember him and my mom having the back and my mom ended up having to do all the collecting of the money and stuff, but they had this paramutual figured out to do it by hand. And I just don't know how in the heck that got handled, but they did.
0: Yeah. And get shot down on Christmas day. What a way to, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We we don't know how good we have it. You know, we just it. You know,
3: you think you think about people. You know, like I had this discussion with another guy here a month ago.
1: There were a lot of guys
3: had the same stories. I mean, it's the the that's how this country was started. And. (laughs) You know, you think about King Merritt leaving leaving his family at 15 years old and riding a mule and going to work on some big. But, I mean, we all had ancestors that did that kind of stuff, you know. You know, I had a, they say one of my great, great ancestors came off the boat from Ireland and got thrown into the Union Army. I mean, that, that story is, but I think that this younger generation, they need to, understand these things
0: for sure
2: no doubt about it no doubt about it for sure up there keeping stock all winter in wyoming you got to keep them close to the house
3: oh you know uh it's like this this might be a two week you know like yesterday before yesterday it was 50 degrees here and still and nice i was out riding some colts and and then today it's you know 30 in the wind blowing and then it's it's going to gradually get colder into next week but you know as long as the cattle have protection and then food and feed they can stay outside you know you and the horses too horses horses are made more than cattle are with their hair to be able to insulate themselves and so you know there's a lot you know a lot of ranches run their cattle out as long as they got some Protection from the wind, when the wind's blowing hard, and then enough feed to keep keep the boiler going and keep them warm. It's not, you know, I, I want to tell the Californians that it is a miserable world around here in the wintertime, but it really isn't that bad a deal. You know, as long as you feed hay, and, you know, all these ranchers, have, they put up hay all summer to feed it all winter, you know, so. Yeah. But it's not that bad. And now, now Mexican steers, steers, I used to keep... You know that last year I kept a hundred head of the of the lighter end to put on jackpots all winter, and I leased them out for like Denver Stock Show and stuff. But you kind of got to be careful of them because they're just not they're not made for that.
2: But we had a potload freeze to death one time. Got them in at the end of December or in December for a uh, for Odessa, and it came a great big ice storm. And uh, yeah, we had to, we had to trail the cattle a few miles just to get, so the, and we loaded them right on the road, on a semi, right on, right on a paved road because it was such an ice storm. They couldn't even get anywhere. Mm. But yeah, it was a massacre that year. Ice
3: you
0: know
2: Mexican steers don't nope. mix well.
3: No, it don't. especially fresh cattle, fresh mm-hmm. Mexican cattle, you know, but you guys got it worse really because, most of the weather down there is so nice, you never think you're going to have an ice storm. You're never going to think you're going to have one of those, a, a blizzard that's going to last five days. Up here, we pre- you prepare for it. You know that's going to happen and you make sure the cattle are in a place where they're going to be out of the wind and got food. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, those, but those Corianis, I mean, they're not, they're made for Mexico. They're not made for Listen the,
2: this is crazy. It was almost 70 degrees here yesterday, and today I'm wearing my buffalo coat.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, that is a good looking buffalo coat. Where can you get one? Of
2: we sell them right over there at the world famous Buck and Flamingo, downtown <laughs> <laughs> Flamingo.
0: What do you send that horse? Chip, what are, you're in the horse, you're still in the horse business, right? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing.
3: Well, when uh, my dad had Blue Valentine and then my granddad had that Texas Blue Bonnet horse. And so they had Texas Blue Bonnet a, f- a few more years before they, before they had Blue Valentine. And they, Texas Blue Bonnet was by Joe Hancock. So, uh, so he got quite a few mares by that horse. And then, you know, and Hyde and my granddad were partners on horses. And they some of the King Merritt bred horses would come over and they'd inter- intermingle them and and then when we got access to blue, uh, we started breeding some of those Texas Bluebonnet type mares too, Blue Valentine, and, and that was the be- by far the best cross. And so, you know, after my dad, you know, my dad died in that accident, and and uh, and so we had our ranches foreclosed on, and some of our horses were foreclosed on, right? And uh, so you know, I got a, this pretty, I start selling animal, animal health products down here in Colorado and make a little bit of money. And I start buying some of those horses back and uh, starting building a herd of my, of my own. And right now we've got 15, 16, 17 mares and we have a horse sale called come to the source sale every year. And uh, we sell the ones we don't want and the, the ones that, you know, we keep the ones we want. And now my boys are both getting in their twenties and and so they're keeping some to rope on and mess around with. And uh, so, so we are s- still in the business and, uh, and we try to keep as much of the blue Valentine and the Texas blue bonnet and Leo bread, Leo blood in them. And so, yeah, we've been in, the, and I think we'll probably stay, my kids both want to keep going with the horses. And so I think we'll probably stay in the business for a while.
0: You know, people that just watched the national finals, uh, if they noticed that good blue horse that the flagman was riding, he goes back to those horses.
2: You know uh, you know something wild? I just saw a picture of Joe Hancock just the other day running a horse race right here at our fairgrounds, Jimbo.
0: Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's something.
2: And uh, Leo. Say Leo. Yeah. He was the pride of Pahuska. I read a big old, oh. he spent most of his life right here in Osage County. The old horse Leo.
3: What is that? There was a ranch up there north of Pahuska, I think, an old famous ranch. Some friends of mine.
0: Was it Chapman Marner?
3: No, I don't remember now.
2: Mullendore Ranch?
0: Yeah, maybe Mullendore.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, What'd you say
3: it was? Mullendore. Mullendore. That's it. That's it. Yeah, Ron Hancock spent his time at Mullendore Ranch. And yeah, oh yeah, Pahuska, that is the center of the cowboy world right there.
0: And then right over in yeah. no water was the Masons Cross J ranch where Beggar Boy was in Oklahoma Star, you know, just okay. miles east of here. Yeah.
2: You know, uh, I just saw the other day, you guys were talking about college rodeo a while ago, but we didn't give these guys any credit. I saw where I think, believe Jess Tierney, Paul Tierney's boy, has started the, uh, steer roping in college rodeo. Steer I saw, yes, finals of college rodeo. I saw that the other day. Hey, okay. I'm just glad to see any new steer and stuff. Right. Oh,
3: yeah. I, I, you know, I never started steer roping until I was 30. I was always so afraid of hurting my knees, but then I f- figured out I couldn't do it without it. But but we used to have a a B part of our Wyoming steer Open association where we tried to get guys that team roped or wanted to steer roping, get a start, you know, and this, yeah, this would be great with Colorado in, in college rodeo
2: yeah we have that right here in posca that the osage steer open club they have a like a novice and an intermediate and then an open
3: right, a, right. B- a b and c or something
2: yeah yeah it's a great thing it's a great thing for people to come the wyoming steer open club i believe now they're just on a handicap system you know if you're just starting out you get seconds off the better you are probably even seconds right there's they're trying to figure out ways for everybody to to learn and enjoy the sport so maybe get a little money while they're there
0: right chip uh since you go back a ways i mean you you were around Everett Shaw and got and clark mcintyre and showed them you know as a kid and then you, right on up till now if you were making a mount rushmore steer ropers who would you put on it? oh yikes <laughs> you need more names Make four names. Well, you got to put
3: Guy Allen there, number one. Um, Show. You know, I, a guy I used to try to pattern myself after was, was, was a, a, a Charlie Lynn. I love Charlie. And I mean, he was so smooth, so slick, and he was just. You know, he was a hair before guy, you know, and but he he never had the desire maybe to 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 really go after it, you know. But God, I don't know. That's a tough one there,
2: right? Mark Freeman put Charlie Lane right there at the top of his list, remember? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a tough list. You can usually come up with one or two pretty easy, but it's hard to come up with that third or fourth one. Yeah.
3: You, you know, you got to put guy on there at number one, and no, you know nobody's done what he's done. And he was so, so slick, and you know, I, I was just amazed. He used to come stay with me for a couple of weeks every summer, right before the finals, and we'd had a pen of stairs there that were getting up on everybody, and I'd just turn him loose on them. <laughs> He'd train them to lay and stuff. But yeah, what a great guy, and what a you know, he just won that all that money and that big team roping in Las Vegas. So happy for him. Oh yeah, but I don't know. You gotta you gotta put him there, and you gotta put Show Webster there, and there's two. God, maybe
0: Everett Shaw.
3: Three.
0: That would be my three right there, and I'd had trouble with the fourth one.
2: What's the fourth? Bob Crosby.
0: Well, I don't know
3: because I never did see him rope. You know, I I knew I knew I like Clark McIntyre and those guys. I knew. That, I mean, Clark, I remember him. We used to have a my dad put on a he called it the country picnic roping, and at our ranch in the middle of summer, kind of right before Cheyenne, he just tried to get all his buddies to come up and well, Clark would show up there with his whole family, and then we'd have a bonfire and the kids would sit sit around and sing. Sing after the roping was over, and you know, and that's where I first met Reba, and and so. I've known Clark forever. I remember showed, I mean, those guys used to come find me and say, hey, Chip, what, what colts are you riding now? You know, what? how are your colts doing? I mean, they just are the best guys. They would walk in the hotel to pay their fees and and meet my mother, and they'd all take their hats off and shake hands. And what a, uh, what a great bunch of guys.
2: Sonny Davis, what about Sonny Davis?
3: Oh, God, you know, Sonny, <laughs> Sonny spent a long time trying to get me to teach me how to tie steers, just tying them on the ground. God, what a great guy. I remember, this is a funny, you know, I was a senior in high school, and I heard they had going to have an amateur rodeo up in northern Wyoming, so I entered it and kind of find it was a pro-am, find out it was a pro-am, and here comes Sonny and Olin, Olin Young and Sonny Davis. I mean, they had a two-horse trailer, and they riding them. Big black calf horse, and I don't remember what they're tripping on, but they're both riding this calf horse. And, you know, Sonny was a big guy, and when he'd get off the ride, he'd get off pretty heavy, and and a horse was kind of ducking out from under him, going left. And uh, here comes Olin, and he just he just ropes it, runs in the middle. Here, remember Olin Young, he could be the fourth, damn sure could be the fourth, easy. But he would run in the middle of his calf, and pitch a slack and get off the left and kind of hit this horse inside the head with his palm of his hand and straighten him up and go down the end of winning the calf roping and Sonny was second and I you know they both were talking to me I said what the hell are you two doing here I I want to try to win some money at this calf roping and now we got the two top calf ropers in the country sitting here and but uh but yeah Sonny Davis was something else and he had a big grown horse was a Hancock bred horse big sucker and then he I trip steers on question. And uh them, and what?
2: Let's put a Mount Rushmore together of steer rope and horses.
3: Oh shoot. that's a one. Of horses. Horses.
2: Four of the best horses of all time. Let's put them on there according to you. Well, you know, Bullet. They had blue. Had, gotta get his
3: that, you know, Bullet had to be number one just because he weighed 950 pounds. And I mean, I've got a list here of 1941. How many ropens? Where is that list at? In 1941, I mean, in those years, 7500 was won on him at PRCA rodeos. They won first, third, and fourth at Cheyenne, first and third at Eight Oklahoma, first, second, and third at Colorado New Mexico. And all the top, all the top guys wanted to ride him. I mean, that was when King and, and Ike owned him, and you know, like at Pendleton, when King won Pendleton in '25. Ike was second the next year, Ike won Pendleton, and King was second. So, you know, and they were both riding bullet. So, and that's a tough deal. You know, there was a steer horse that one horse that you know, that done horse of your dad's. God, that was a good horse. I mean, I'd love to have that horse. I mean, I don't know if he could run a hole in the wind, and but that sucker was tough and he was short statured and heavy made, and a guy could get off him easy. And how hey, about your dad made him look like a world champion horse, and and then T got him, and then then that made T too. But my uh, a good friend of mine, Jim Evans, who tripped steers from Gillette, Wyoming, he had a horse called Cadillac. That God, he was a good horse too, and and then Roy Cooper ended up buying him from Guy, and that's what got Roy on the on the map of tripping steers. I don't know. You know those those old tripping horses that those guys had. You know, Show and, and Clark and Clark McIntyre Show, Troy Fort and those guys.
2: He'll fly Kelly and, Corbin. That's a horse.
3: Yeah, you know Kelly Corbin was a tough hand too. But I don't remember their horses as well as I do some of the younger guys. But
2: well, you got that one for Mike, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: But I, you know, I never did. I didn't see, I don't remember those older horses, you know? So it's, it's tough for me to say, but. The
2: guy's black horse that he won all those world championships on. He'd be hard to.
3: Oh, guy's horse?
2: Jeremiah'd be hard to leave, leave off of that
3: list. Well, then, you know, guy made him look good. <laughs> you know? God, damn. I mean, the horse made guy look good and guy made him look good. It was a Yeah. Was, I mean.
2: You said that done horse made tea. I believe tea he he could rope off of probably anything, including here oh, yeah. anything. But yeah, a good horse under him definitely helped him out for sure in the steer opening. Well, Jimbo, you got anything else for him?
0: Well, just really glad to get to sit down with you, Chip, because there's just so much history there, and we went over a lot of it. I'm sure we left off a lot of it. We don't want to forget about this family. Yeah, I- I'm glad to get this on tape or whatever it is now and uh just for the historical value of it you know
3: right yeah we got to keep track of the history that's for sure
0: yeah, absolutely and we're just really tickled that you took time out to to go over some of this stuff with it. And, and and what a great family
3: well i appreciate it guys you know the, the bottom line is that my granddad and my dad love open. i mean my dad would have he put on the national finals if it would have cost him a bunch of money. I mean, he just loves steer open. He wants steer open. To, I mean, he used to, we used to have the Wyoming steer open finals. We'd have it somewhere and it was a big deal. And the guys would say, Hey, we need to have a circuit finals. And so Hyde would put on the circuit finals in the morning before the, and, and he, he wouldn't charge anything for the cattle. I mean, it's just Hyde loved steer open. And he loved rodeo and he loved Cheyenne. And King was the same way. And it, it's, it's, but I appreciate this has been fun talking to you guys. And I, I'll have to make a trip down to Bahuska and meet you guys in person. You bet. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. You, you might recognize me without all this hair. I'm not sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, your beard matches your coat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've turned into a hippie since I moved to. to cowboy country
3: somehow. So. Hey, well t- tell your dad hello, will you?
2: I will be still alive. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's still. He's uh actually him and my mom are both living in my front yard now. We moved him a double wide trailer house. They're living in my front yard. <laughs> he's roping there. You know, he's still roping and everything. How old so, did Rocky be? You know, the last time he won Cheyenne, he was fifty-seven years old, and that was thirteen years ago. So I guess he's coming on 70
3: He's He's my age, Sam. He's, you know, he just, you know, I. I I would, if I have any regrets in this world, I wish I'd started roping steers when I was twenty instead of thirty.
2: But you know, but yeah, the steer roping is way worse than any hard drug. I've never done any hard drugs, but i would to have to say it's as addicting as any hard drug. Out it is
3: addicting. Gosh darn.
0: My uncle Joe's eighty-one, uh, Chip, and he said that okay. when I told him, he said to be sure and tell you hello.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah, I can remember
3: untying his steers and all. He, he won the King Merit three years in a row, and he's the only one that's ever won the King Merit three years in a row. Yep.
0: You know?
3: I mean Schult won it. I don't know seven, eight times, but not in a row. But
0: yep. yeah,
3: your uncle, he wrote. I mean, those old, those older steer ropers. God dang it, on it. It's a little tough to compare those guys. It's it's tough to compare my granddad King's era, and then maybe Joe's era, and then my era and then now I mean it's tough to compare all those guys but damn they roped some big cattle in the olden days and you you know I look at some of these times and there was a guy you know he'd be 60 seconds on a steer wheel she knew that it was a battle that was a real bad sucker you know so but it's been fun talking to you guys and this has been really fun and so I gotta get to Pasco and meet
2: you. For sure man well we can't wait to see you. Mr. Merritt, thank you for joining us today.
0: All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chip.
2: All right, everybody. Yep. It's been a good one, hasn't it, Jimbo? Oh, great one. Holy moly. What a, it's such a historic steer open family, rodeo family, uh, raising horses. I mean, they've been in every aspect of rodeo, from world champions to stock contractors to one of the foundation bloodlines of horses, all the way to the instrumental in the college.
0: Yeah. In the publishing, rodeo. the rodeo news, just. And got shot down on christmas day i haven't got over that yet what a hero i know it. absolutely
2: all right thank you guys until next week this has been the cowboys of the osage podcast see y'all
1: old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late-night bands History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage